to Figment of My Reality, where we talk about the true stuff that makes this big old world seem made up. I'm your first co-host, Jeremy Bales. And I'm your other co-host, Jason Wright, here with my climbing gear, my spelunking gear, my time machine, and ready to uh, go out there adventuring in the past, finding the stories we need to bring you every week. Can I make a recommendation? Yeah. Can you take that climbing gear, that spelunking gear, and that time machine... And go back to the time where Garfield was littering the beaches and just sort of stop it. <laughs> it might help a lot of aquatic ecosystems, Jason, right? And, you know, there's not enough people out there doing stuff for the aquatic ecosystems. I, I think we should take that full burden on our backs yep. and solve all of those issues ourselves. Especially if we have a time machine. <laughs> I was going to say, there's one thing, one key, p- key piece of equipment there you're rocking with that... You know, I just don't think it's been, um, I guess I'll say, accessible to all the other activists. Is that is that Splunking gear, man? Who's, <laughs> who's got the real Splunking gear? It's Jason Wright. Yeah, I mean, I got my stuff decked out. I got a cool breathing apparatus. Um, I don't need an oxygen tank. I can just turn the water into air. Um, like they did know. in uh, that one crummy Star Wars, right? Exactly. I'm that guy from Crummy Star Wars. What's his name? Jar Jar Binks. They go <laughs> That's not a joke. They go underwater to Jar Jar Binks' place. I don't want to be Jar Jar. <laughs> you're Jar Jar Binks now. <laughs> you're, you're Jar Jar right. <laughs> All right, so I'll kick it off this week. Uh, and my story is about a gentleman named Count Victor Lustig. Um, and he was really just the the epitome of all things con men and his biggest sort of claim to fame or infamy rather is that he was able to sell the eiffel tower twice like a g yeah it was probably worth about a g at that point could you imagine going to new york city and selling the uh statue of liberty statue of liberty (laughs) i don't my brain stopped working couldn't tell Like, it would be insane. Yeah, it would be pretty wild. So this this guy's beginnings and sort of where he came from is a little bit murky, and I'll explain that later. We kind of have to start his story closer to the end. Ultimately, he was he was caught and brought to justice in 1936, I believe. Um, trying to get some of his backstory, some people who were in investigating him, um, they were sort of asking questions about his upbringing and where he came from and, and all that stuff and his family. And he told the investigators he was born in the Austria-Hungarian town of Hostinel, or Hostine, maybe. It's H-O-S-T-I-N-N-E with an apostrophe, and I don't know how that's pronounced. Um, And he said he was born in 1890, but in different eras of his life, this guy, Count Victor, we'll just call him Victor, uh, he has described his father as both uh, the mayor of this town as, as well as one of the poorest peasant people you could ever know. So he's he's full of lies and he's full of cons from the very beginning. And he had a similar beginning to, I guess I would say, the Barefoot Bandit in the sense that he started small, right? He started as a pickpocket and a, uh, a burglar. Then he became a street hustler. And it was said that he perfected, you know, every known car trick. He could make the deck of cards, quote, do anything except talk. So he was he was wheeling and dealing early, just trying to get people out of their, their money. 
The funny thing about this guy is he was also like the suavest of the suave. He was fluent in five languages, charming. He was often described as a storybook character for how he was able to elude different law enforcement groups, which is pretty wild. Um, one Secret Service member described him as, uh, quote, elusive as a puff of cigarette smoke and charming as a young girl's dream, whatever that means to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think whenever I see somebody smoking on the corners, like, man, that is elusive. <laughs> As they blow the smoke, he gets wicked right into their face. <laughs> so Victor arrived in the United States uh, at the end of World War One. As the U.S. was slowly moving into sort of the roaring 20s, you know, money was quickly exchanging hands. And uh, this this guy, because he was so prevalent, like running cons and getting people out of their money, he became known to a lot of detectives in, four, in over 40 cities as the Scarred. And that's because although this man was quite charming... He had a two and a half foot scar, or sorry, not two and a half foot. My goodness, <laughs> two and a half inch scar on his cheek. How long would his face be? He would be a horse. A he would just be a Bojack Horseman. Bojack's walking around and selling the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> his cons had varied from simple card cons in the streets. He also claimed to have a box that would use a some sort of technology to replicate bank checks that people would just put their bank checks in and he would offer them a duplicate of it, which was not the original. It's <laughs> <laughs> so just a piece of paper with their name on it and the money yeah, sign. I, I have no idea what he could have done to convince these rubes that their check was getting multiplied. A drop of a hat. So this was also the time period where Charles Ponzi, you know, the Ponzi scheme was happening. So this was this was an era where the biggest criminals were not necessarily thugs. They were more gentlemen. They were playing sort of the corporate game. Crime Magazine described Victor as society taking him by one hand and the underworld by the other. He was sort of a flesh and blood Jekyll and Hyde. And that's, again, because he was such a dominant con man while also being this presentable, gentlemanly, charming individual that basically people couldn't get enough of. That's how most con men work. Typically. You know, you don't often see like a con man just holding you up at the gunpoint, right? Yeah. Not not how I would describe He persuaded me to give him all my money. Man, this guy was just so smooth. He was sweet. He was charming. and He had a gun? The the, the 9mm he had on my forehead. It was just more than I could refuse. So I had to buy the Eiffel Tower. (laughs) So let's get into that, right? So in 1925, he traveled to Paris in May of that year. He commissioned these counterfeit papers to look like he was a Paris official. And he wrote to the top people in the scrap metal industry in France and told them to meet him at this specific hotel. His ploy was that he spoke with these these individuals and he said that there were engineering faults, costly repairs, and he also referenced political problems that he couldn't discuss, which is why the Eiffel Tower needed to be taken down. And he did this presentation to these folks in the scrap metal industry, and he was able to sell the the Eiffel Tower not once, but twice. And, you know, as is often the case with these high-level con men, he just sort of let his hubris get to him. So much so that he ultimately put out his Ten Commandments of the Con, and they are as follows. Number one, be a patient listener. Number two, never look bored. 
three, wait for the other person to reveal any political opinions, then agree with them. Wait a minute. Yep. So far, the first three sound like tips for a date. Uh, yeah, and uh, you'll uh, you'll see that basically holds true throughout all of them. Number four, let the other person reveal religious views, then have the same ones. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> no, it gets better. Number five, hint at sex talk, but don't follow it up unless the other party okay. shows a strong interest. <laughs> <laughs> you see that big that big metal tower over there? It's shiny, huh? But anyway, back to uh back to this duplicating checkbox that I have. <laughs> Uh, six, never discuss illness unless some special concern is shown. Nah, seven, never pry into a person's personal life. They'll tell you all eventually. Again, kind of suggestive. <laughs> Eight, never boast. Just let your importance be quietly obvious. Nine, never be untidy. And ten, never get drunk. I feel like first date, he was maybe seven for ten. Okay. Which three would you say are not specifically uh, applicable to the first date life? I sure wanted just agree to somebody else's religion. That's good. I'm <laughs> proud that you have those strong moral states. <laughs> um, I guess politics, too. I mean, I, those aren't as big of a deal to agree to, I guess. I mean, you could just kind of nod your head. Yep, smile and nod. I, I guess some people, some people can't bite their tongues on that one. I don't <laughs> I guess who who you are and what you're after the sex part the sexy talk part the sexy that one's talk. okay I guess <laughs> on who you are well the thing the um, thing is you got, like you got a hint at it Jason it's very specific hint at sex talk but don't follow it up unless the other party <laughs> shows a strong interest that's the real kicker <laughs> what would he what would he do if they did show a strong interest yeah, does he just abandon the con <laughs> he's like oh well. Uh, Gotta be honest, you're the first one who's shown any interest in this scar of mine, so like, yeah, let's call it off. You're safe. Oh, man. But as I said, it was kind of his uh, his greed that ultimately got him caught. So in, in December uh, of 1928, he was back in the States, and he was meeting with a, a client about some less-than-ideal uh, investments, which is really funny because... He uh, basically preached against being fly by the seat of your pants type of con man. But during this meeting, he went upstairs into this client's drawer and stole $16,000 from them. <laughs> That's not a con man. That's a, just a regular thief. Yes, I understand. I, I get it. And that's why he, this is what got him caught is because he didn't file, follow his own Ten Commandments of the con. Mm, he didn't try to sexy them before he, he stole them. He did not money. try to sexy talk them, which is they obviously probably would have just his... They probably would have just gave him the $1,600 if he would have been sexy with them. Well, the, the other person had to show a strong interest because he wouldn't have followed it well, up. Well, you know they would have. Uh, He's the best the, con man ever. He is the scar. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, he, he stole this money from, from the client, and the client ultimately called a Texas sheriff. And it doesn't have, I don't have a whole lot of detail on how this happened, but upon meeting this, this sheriff from Texas, uh, he actually conned this, this sheriff with the sort of replicating banknote box. And it was because of that that he got on the radar of the Secret Service. He duplicated one too many checks. 
I think it was one too many Texas sheriff t- checks. So there was a, there was a specific agent at the uh, the Secret Service at that time who was named Ru- Ruben Rubano R U B A N O, and he was a specialist in um, finding out these people who had committed fraud with banknotes. And it was at that point in 1930 that he got back on the radar of, of Agent Rubano and the notes that this guy was making is very much like the movie catch me if you can they were super notes of the era is how they were described like they were insanely difficult to to see any faults in them the thing about it was is they were duplicating and um, fabricating hundred dollar bills which are the ones that cashiers scrutinize the most another cool thing i thought was um just made me laugh when i saw this is that he was described as always having several disguises and identities with him. Like the dude had 47 aliases and always kept several dozen passports with him. I thought you were going to say several dozen mustaches. <laughs> that would be good. I think that would be good. Well, I almost guarantee he had several mustaches because it was said that he actually had like a bellhop um, disguise. And at one point when the Secret Service was catching up to him, he changed into his gear and his into his bellhop disguise and walked out right in front of them all with all of his luggage. Maybe he's like, he's just like Superman. Like he t- turns around the corner, throws a pair of glasses on and then walks out. And everybody's like, oh, where'd he go? Huh. You just comb your hair in a different direction. Like Superman's left to right. Clark Kent is right to left. People can't tell the difference. It's not the glasses. <laughs> So in in New York, um, about five years later, the Secret Service catches up to him. About time. Right? So they let him away in cuffs, but that was a very short-lived effort. So let me me get to this. So they they caught him on May 10th of 1935 in New York. They put him in a federal detention center in Manhattan, which was described as inescapable. From May 10th to September 1st, he was already out. He did, if you can believe it... (laughs) The tied together sheets as rope and climbed out his window. Oh, he saw, saw that man. Saw, that sounds tough to escape. So, somehow he like saw <laughs> through bars. Again, I didn't have a description, but he like got through the bars on his window and used the blankets as rope. It also said that to passersby, he used a rag and pretended like he was cleaning the windows. But I'm wondering who would also believe that. What's that guy doing <laughs> dressed in orange hanging from bed sheets? Oh, don't worry. He has a rag in his hand. He must be cleaning the windows. He's got to be cleaning the windows. You know, they have to hire some folks from the prison to get that. He's probably not part of the pr- Oh, wait. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he escaped September 1st. September 28th, the Secret Service actually catch up to him again. And he leads him on a nine-block car chase and ultimately gets captured again. Upon capture, uh, Victor just go, looks up to the uh, Secret Service. He says, well, boys, here I am. <laughs> I guess I, I think any criminal could say that. Yeah, it's just funny. Uh, the one thing I was happy about is, unlike uh, some of our stories in the past, there was a lot of quotes surrounding this one. Man, it was just fun to read. I think he was sentenced to several dozen years in Alcatraz. During the sentencing, the judge looked at Victor and said, you're the smoothest con man to ever live. Get out. You're the smoothest con man to ever live. Enjoy your life. You're good. You're good to go. Yeah, have a good one. It's been real. So while at Alcatraz, there was a lot of uh, claims that he made to the guards of, he, you know, he wasn't feeling well. He was trying to get more blankets and, and more medication. Uh, they were all denied because they thought it was some type of escape plan for good reason. Um, a couple years later, they take him to some medical service 
found out he wasn't lying. He he died shortly after that of pneumonia. Boy that cried wolf. Yeah, right? The boy who cri- cried blanket. <laughs> the scar who cried blanket. Uh, in March of 2015, there was a historian who heard about this story as well, and he was avid about trying to figure out where this dude had come from. So he went back to the town. He looked up records of schools, of hospitals, of everything, and couldn't find hide nor hair of Count Victor Lustig. And to this day, as far as I I am aware, there's no record of his birth or where he came from at all. The only thing that anyone has to go on is what the man himself told the investigators and the people asking about him. Still alive. Yeah. He definitely, like, there's a strong inclination that he's, like, Austrian of some kind, but no one knows from where, even if that's true. The man was fluent in five languages and could be any of 47 different people. That was a dude who, uh, I mean, it was, who did a whole freaking lot, but I think the, the most buck wild thing is to sell a building twice as a new world wonder and. It sounded like he was selling it as scrap. Yeah, like scrap metal. <laughs> you want to buy this giant piece of structural art for scrap? <laughs> I guess my biggest question revolving that would be if in the first meeting he contacted the biggest names in the scrap metal industry in France, who was at the second meeting? <laughs> <laughs> you think it would be in the paper or something? Yeah. Or, like, they would report the story to someone and be like, guys, we got a great big purchase. Oh, nice. What'd we get? The Eiffel Tower. What? Could you <laughs> what imagine? Deal with it? Could you imagine being the people at the Eiffel Tower when they come to tear it down? <laughs> <laughs> like, why, is a, why is a wrecking ball out there? What are they doing? <laughs> and someone official goes, um, what, what you doing here? Yeah, we just bought this. What? We're yeah, tearing yeah, it down. Uh, yeah, Victor Lustig. He, he sold it to us. Who are you talking? <laughs> Do you have his birth certificate? I, I just need a name, a real name. Well, he's got 47 of them, so I'm not really sure. <laughs> he gave me one of his mustaches? That's as good as gold. Yeah, for what it's worth, he was unassuming aside from the scar on his face. 5'7", a buck 40. Like, just bog standard average type of dude, except for the fact that he was allegedly one of the greatest con men who's ever lived. So, from Eiffel... Tower selling man to Zephyr the sexually frustrated dolphin. Um, Run that by me again. Zephyr the sexually frustrated dolphin is what I will be telling you about. Hit me with it. So in 2018, so recent, Western France, there's this lone dolphin. He's interacting with people at this ocean right off the beach. And he's swimming up to people, swimming with people, swimming by boats. He's even letting people grab his dorsal fin and he's dragging them around and stuff. And people recognize him because he's there for a few months and he ends up getting the nickname Zephyr, right? So Is this is this out in the wild? Yeah. Okay, so it's not like a, a, some, some sea world or nothing. No, this is people going to the beach, going out, and there's just this dolphin there being super friendly, dragging people around. Doing stuff that people pay hundreds of dollars to do. People are paying hundreds of dollars to swim at just a beach because Zephyr might be here? No, I'm saying people pay hundreds of dollars oh, I see. to swim with dolphins. But Zephyr is giving it for free. But Zephyr's giving it for free. Alright. But after a few months, Zephyr starts being a little bit more aggressive. He starts really rubbing up against people in boats. And at one point, he blocks a woman from being able to go back to shore. 
just playing that body defense, that box out defense. He is. She has to get rescued by a boat because Zephyr is not letting her get back whatsoever. <laughs> and then Zephyr lifts another woman up out of the water with his nose. So the mayor of this city that this beach is in, Roger Federer, Loris, <laughs> Roger Loris starts consulting marine experts about what's going on and they come back to him and give him the word that zephyr is sexually frustrated and looking for a partner which completely changes how this box out situation of her leaving the beach is i now picture a terrified woman trying to get back in the dolphin trying to do a little flirty thing back and forth in front of her he's like nah 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 it's kind of like that creepy dude at the bar he's like Come on, just just come out and see my truck. It's real cool. Exactly. He's like, she gets, goes to get up to leave. He's like, mm, no. just just one more drink. I'll, I'll get you one more drink. <laughs> Zephyr's a little frustrated. The mayor decides, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a bylaw so people can't go within 50 meters of Zephyr or go swimming or diving when he's confirmed to be present. Which is a little backwards to me. Like, I mean, I, I know it's a dolphin's area, but he's the only dolphin there. What's the bylaw again, Jason? The bylaw is people cannot be within 50 feet of Zephyr. And if he's confirmed to be present, you can't go swimming or diving at all. Now, what type of body of water is this? It's a, it's a bay. It's a beach. It's like a bay right off the ocean. So let me pitch, let me pitch you a hypothetical. You're out, you're out swimming. No confirmed sighting of Zephyr. There's another dolphin. <laughs> What's the plan? That depends. Am I into dolphins or not? I guess it would depend on... So... Do you want Little Mermaids? That would, that would fall under command number five. Hint <laughs> <laughs> that sex talk. <laughs> Zephyr... Zephyr... Zephyr starts the sex talk, but he doesn't follow up with the second part where if they're not interested. He just follows up. <laughs> <laughs> that bylaw really confuses me, right? So, like, if you're swimming and then all of a sudden Zephyr pops up out of nowhere and he, like, books it towards you, are you liable if he swim? Like, dolphins are pretty quick swimmers and humans not so much. Yeah, I mean, I just want to go to the beach. Well, you got to go to the beach, Jason. You got to get that beach bob. <laughs> Like, there's, there's no not going to the beach for some people in France, apparently. That's insane. How? This was this happened last year. Two years ago. 2018, right. Yeah, so... Is there any news? I don't think he's there anymore. But what the marine experts end up coming back and saying is Zephyr is a loner dolphin, which means he's an outcast for whatever reason. For he's whatever reason. From, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It kind of brings us back to the guy at the bar situation. <laughs> Zephyr's a scumbag. Just the pot of dolphins like, come on, Zephyr, leave her alone. <laughs> and everyone like, steps up and be like, all right, dude, you're out. All right, you had three chances, you're out. <laughs> I feel like they tried to have an intervention with Zephyr and it just didn't go over. He just wouldn't admit he had a problem and they just had to kick yeah, him and out. He goes, he's like, you know what? Don't need you, need you, pod. I'm done with you. I'm going to go see what's up with the humans. They'll be interested. They've been riding me for three years. <laughs> for whatever reason, this dude's an outcast. What a joke. 
<laughs> all in all, the Marine experts agree with the mayor. He made the right decision that people not going in the water will protect people and it'll protect Zephyr because if he gets too acclimated with people, he'll his awareness will drop and he won't have awareness of his surroundings. So he might get hit by a boat or predators hey, might Dub? get him or something. Hey, Dub, so, how's, that, yeah. how's that social awareness going? <laughs> Well, maybe if he gets if if he gets back with his pod, he can build some of that up. But he's not going to build any of Dolphin social think, awareness. He's not going to build by... any social awareness. He's he's boxing out females from you know just exiting the beach. He's lifting them up out of the water. That's not socially okay, Zephyr. What the heck, dude? And let me let me tell you this: when I was in Florida a couple years ago, we went out on this little boat ride, and the dolphins were in the bay. And the captain goes, hey, everybody, look over the edge of the boat. The dolphins are wrestling. <laughs> and I look over, and the dolphins are rubbing up against the boat. And their big old hogs are hanging out, flopping all over the place. And it was one of the most terrifying things I've ever seen in my life is this tube of muscle grinding the boat. And there's no way in the world I would get in the water with that wiener flapping around in smacking me through the water. <laughs> it was terrifying. And I was out of the water. <laughs> so, that is a, a deeply disturbing uh, picture you've just painted for me with your words. Now, imagine you're, you're a poor, innocent person in the water, and that horny dolphin is boxing you out from land. <laughs> There's just so much going on. <laughs> Dude... That, I mean, you're absolutely right. Like, that's not something that would ever be sort of entire. Oh wow, look at this majestic thing in nature. No, it can re- it can piss right off. <laughs> <laughs> but even with the marine experts agreeing with the mayor, giving this great explanation of why we can't go in the water. I mean, it, at the end of the day, the water's for the marine life and the lands for the people. So, but there's always those few idiots that disagree. So, one per- so I don't know if anybody ever got in the water with Zephyr or if anything bad happened, but people were speaking out. One person was recorded saying, There's never been any mishaps noted in the natural environment between a dolphin and a human. You just don't have anything in his presence and don't go swimming with him if you're a bad swimmer. Uh... So, they're saying dolphins never done anything. I also found another story. Where in 2012, a couple guys were going scuba diving in this dolphin, very similar to Zephyr, a loner, outcast. I don't like loner dolphins. Horny, wrestles these two men to the bottom of the <laughs> bottom of the ocean, holding them on the ground, trying to do the deed. <laughs> it gets captured on video when he brings it up, and they name that dolphin Stinky the Loner Dolphin. <laughs> So this notion that dolphins aren't ever going to harm people, it has no weight. It is just some foolish person that was trying to go get it on with Zephyr. Stinky is simultaneously my favorite and least favorite dolphin who's ever lived. <laughs> <laughs> the, the fact that it's... Why did they name him Stinky? That just seems to me... <laughs> well, I think it's mild. I don't... I think it's mild for the situation. You know, if no, somebody... I, 
if somebody held me down it was trying to do that stuff to me, I'd have a lot worse stuff to say about them than Stinky. I trust me, I get it, and like, and the uh, the dolphins aren't in- unintelligent creatures. But Stinky is just funny to me. <laughs> Stinky also, is funny. the idea of a dolphin just, I guess, taking you to the bottom, to the seafloor or whatever, and just sort of laying on you, I would be pet. I don't think he was just laying. I understand that, but just doing the attempt at those depths <laughs> <laughs> would be so scary. I would be. I don't know if I'd ever go in any. That would be the reason I don't go to the beach again. <laughs> People be like, "That's oh, sharks Zephyr. in the water." I'll be like, "Okay, so sharks I can deal with." <laughs> <laughs> oh, sweet, look at a cool couple dolphins. Get out! <laughs> oh man, but that's Zephyr the dolphin, and I hope everybody keeps and that and keeps this stand stinky. I hope everybody keeps this story in mind next time you see some dolphins in the water and you want to go swimming. Yeah, here here's a little uh, here's a a pro tip: dolphins in pods, probably cool, probably social awareness, probably. Human awareness. Loner dolphins? Not cool, guys. Not <laughs> cool. Bad. Bad dolphin. dolphin. Stinky. Zephyr. Whatever third dolphin. Bad dolphin. All right. That'll be it for this week's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review as it helps us out a ton. Uh, if you're interested in contacting us with one of your stories or you want to hear us talk about something that you might know about that we don't, um, Reach us at any of our social medias, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at figofmyreality. And then our email is figmentofmyreality at gmail.com. Yeah, and uh, again, we always appreciate it if you guys tell friends about the podcast, Pullman. It'd be awesome, and we appreciate that a lot also. And we want to give a shout-out to our, our couple of our international listeners. we got some people in Guatemala, Morocco, Japan, and it's just awesome to see that we're reaching out to all over the place and we really appreciate everybody listening. Thank you so much. Yep. And the piece of reality that we're going to leave you with this week is in 2014, a woman went missing, but was later found in a search party for herself. I'm Jeremy (laughs) Bales. And I'm Jason Wright. Talk to you next week.